Oh dear. All right, I need to say my name first, would make sense. Say my name, say right. my name. If you'd like to stop singing. Oh yeah, we're Three, the ones fucking up here. Why the sudden change? <laughs> say my name, say my name. I mean, I'll just go off and leave if you want. Hello and welcome back to Rear the Grid. As always, I'm your host, Matt, back this week after a little hiatus. I'm joined by my fairly able stand-in for last week and man who is increasingly distancing himself from Lawrence Stroll's payroll. It's Jashan. Fairly able. Fairly able. I smashed it out of the park, mate. Home run as a sixer that's out of the stadium. You, sir, need to up your game. Take the vaccine, people. <laughs> I'm also joined by a man making his return to his early season form. Back once again as the conveyor of controversy. Mm. It is Spencer Hudson. Smooth operator. <laughs> Smooth operator. I mean, next year he's becoming the miracle musical miracle or something like that. McLaren fuckboy. And this week's show, we um wrap up the season that was, hand out a few Rear of the Grid awards, mm. just bring up a few points that we um, we enjoyed, different things that we enjoyed from the season, and we return to some of our favourite early season jokes and just various tropes that we've uh, peddled on this show. <coughs> Deshaun's paid off by Lawrence Stroll. Oh, jokes and tropes, mate. By the way, we missed out on this during the actual podcast, but Sebastian Vettel singing Italian at the end of his last race was Fucking emotional. Oh, well, Sebastian Vettel, so it's always emotional when Sebastian Vettel starts singing. I love when people speak Italian. Grazie, grazie. And yes, all that and (laughs) a bit more on this, the final episode of season one of Rear of the Grid. Here we are, back for a season review this time, boys. Um, it's good year, good year. One of my favourite Formula One seasons in a while now, I think. Um, yeah, it was action. one of my favourite seasons Honey, to follow. Oh, as well. was one of your yeah, favourite. Yeah. yeah. Would you yeah. say out of the one season you've watched, this would be your favourite? Oh, it's definitely in the conversation. It's in the com- at the table. It's definitely it's at, the at, table. The table. It's at the yeah, table. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. That's I'd fair. Say so. Um, but we'll jump. We'll jump straight into it. We've uh, gone away and done much research <laughs> at different spectrums, and we've come up with some end of season awards. <laughs> if you just drop a research reference <laughs> after this morning, you're such a needling little prick. I can't. Even. Mate, we've done, you did research, didn't you? I've done so much research. Did you do research, Spencer? Yeah, fucking oath. He's I, been, been, I did research. Mate, he's been providing conspiracy theories. You know he's done research. <laughs> so we come up with some, as I said, end of season awards. Um, well, just to run over the overview, we've got a most valuable driver, most um, overrated, I guess overrated, underwhelming driver, most improved, best team that wasn't Mercedes, uh, the best driver's take of the season, best race of the season, and then the best moment of the season. As I said, we'll start with that most valuable um, driver. <laughs> most valuable Jashan. Yes, most valuable Jashan. I Jishan. consider myself a very valuable I Jishan. think Spencer's been the most valuable Jashan this season. That is. Uh, Jashan, your pick for most valuable driver this year. Right, so my pick for MVD, 
Um, diving straight into the, um, the clear-cut winner. It's got to be Sergio Perez. Um, this man, he just... He went above and beyond this year, mate. He went above and beyond. And what really got it for me is when the whole story came out that he was being replaced by, by Sebastian Vettel, he didn't whine, he didn't moan, he knuckled down and he fucking drove his way to a better team in Red Bull with some superb performances. His consistency all year was amazing. I've seen some media people compare him to Alain Prost in the way he just accumulates points this season in particular. He's always up in there, always up fourth, fifth at least. Pushing for podiums, obviously got that famous win over in Sakia, which was superb from going from last to first. Iconic. The tyre whisperer. He sure is. He sure is. And yeah, he, he carried Racing Point this year because Lance Stroll was disappointing in the second half of the season. Yeah. And, you know, if it weren't for a couple of engine failures, I think Racing Point would have taken P3 and the constructors purely just on his work. So I think in terms of value, you go Sergio Perez. I think I'll I'll just jump in. Um, I think yeah, Perez is obviously one of the names that was in would have been in everyone's mind for this kind of pick. Um, that's where I went as well. Um, I won't say the other guy I was considering for it just yet. I'll wait to see what Spence had to say. But yeah, I, don't know, I think I echo everything you just said on Perez, Jashan. I think just he showed. I mean, he, he showed his worth in this sport for just about a decade now. But this year, he really took it to another level. There's so many standout, you know, standout performances of just really good drives to consistently be the best of the rest, probably almost more than any other driver this season, I think. Mm. Um, and if he wasn't, and probably the bit that set him apart from other guys is even in the races where he wasn't best of the rest, he was very, he was probably had more races where he was almost best of the rest than anybody else. A lot of guys had, you know, Ricardo yeah. and Charles did a lot of being best of the rest but had some real lows to go with it. Uh, he would have gotten points in every single race were it not for the engine failures, Yeah, I believe. Uh, Spencer, have you have you stuck with this trend or have you have you gone elsewhere in yeah. your most valuable driver? I went elsewhere. You went elsewhere? Uh, I, I sort of, the trend bucked. I, I looked at it in terms of, you know, like you do in most professional sports, of like, you know, most, most valuable player, most valuable driver is which driver, you know, gave their team the most amount of worth and, you know, over overachieved for them. And while Perez is a great pick, um, it was hard for me to consider that because Racing Point have offed him for next year. Um, so with that in mind, like looking at it as who was a guy that, you know, was in a car that was constantly impressing us with how well he was driving it, um, learned from his mistakes throughout the year. And for me, it's got to be Charles Leclerc. I think without him there this year... Um, Ferrari season would have been a monumental failure. Having a guy like Seb Vettel, a four-time world champion, who was just mentally checked out and didn't want to be there, Charles really took on a massive leadership role in that team. And despite the season that they had, he still finished with 98 points in the championship for the eighth-best driver in a car that was easily, we could say for most of the year, the sixth or seventh-best driver. Yeah, look, if, if Sergio Perez is the tyre whisperer, then Charles Leclerc is the shit box whisperer. Oh, I'll give you that. But two moments for me took Charles out of the conversation. Gee, I wonder what two moments would it be. Could they both have occurred at um, <laughs> the fourth, or third or fourth corner of a racetrack there on was, the opening yeah, lap? Yeah, there was a bit of a moment where... It was, was it Bahrain or Sakia? Shit. It was Sakia. It was Sakia. Where he obviously goes for an audacious play and... Spins out Sergio and ends his and tactical, ends Max's tactical setup. ends Max's race and that's completely his fault. And then obviously the big one is when he just kind of 
has a bit of a nosedive and just spears Sebastian Vettel and over in Austria slash Styria. Styria's in the Styria. He's doing it in both the double weekends. He just got bored. Yeah. Decided to crash the fuck out. But yeah, I think those two blatant errors where he has just ended his team's weekend effectively, for me, real knock on the year. And you, you can't have a most valuable driver who's just giving away points like that. That's fair. That's a fair counterpoint. I think Charles was definitely someone I had in the discussion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the one other name I think I'll throw out, I don't know who else you boys considered, but the other name I had out there with Perez, I think, and we'll probably imagine we're probably going to touch on him later. But I think Pierre Gasly I'm planning is in. on touching on Pierre Gasly later. I mean, yes. I just plan on touching Pierre Gasly. Yes, quite. Um, Pierre Gasly, I think, is someone who deserves to be in the com- this conversation as well. Obviously, if you talk about... I mean, Kvyat brought a lot to that team as well to a, down the stretch, but obviously, you know, between the you know the race win and everything, Gasly mm-hmm. brought so much to that team, and he, we think we'd all probably agree he was, yeah. Certainly the first half of the season, I think we all would have had him probably as the driver of the season. He was a little bit quieter in the second half, and that's where I think... You can make obviously Paris had a really really strong run home, mm-hmm. and Charles continued to do um, just great shit box yeah. whispering. So I think that's where. And actually, maybe there was also um, Turkey where he locks up at the end there and loses it. Shit job, shit job. You can't have your MVD doing shit jobs, Spencer. Come on. Um, yeah, but he was doing it in a shit job car. That is very true. That's it. That is very true. And his engineer thought he did a pretty good job. Yes, it yeah. Um, um, that the, other, us the, on. the other one I put in there is Daniel Ricciardo. Yep, I think Danny Rick definitely out there. Really great season for Danny Rick. A good bounce back from, from honestly the last couple of years, but particularly last year. Um, that takes us on to the most underwhelming, or I guess overrated driver of the season. Um, we'll leave with you this time, Spencer. The mud. The um, mud. I again didn't want to, you know, poke the poke the dead horse that is Alex Albon. Because um, all things considered, <laughs> oh, I think yeah. he still had a, a pretty good season. I'm going to go Esteban Ocon. Mm. It, it, it's almost like it's odd to me that he he isn't given more scrutiny and more criticism because of how how little he's done with what he has. And yeah, he got a podium this year. He got a second, but that was a race that you know was just a monumentally insane race in terms of where people started and where people finished. But you go back to the start of the year and, you know, that classic line of, oh, Esteban Ocon would be driving really well right now if the car behind him wasn't the same colour as him. (laughs) And throughout the season, he's just, like, he was always on the faster compound of tyre at the start of the race. And the only thing that he seemed to do really well this season was to hold Daniel Ricciardo up, who was often on the medium or the hards to Esteban's soft or medium and just could not get any pace out of the car. And in a season where Daniel Ricciardo is leaving and you want to sort of make your mark on the team, outside of that podium, he just languished in no man's land. He just didn't didn't do anything that you would expect of a guy that was a former Mercedes um, test driver and coming out of, or coming into Force India, had a big rap about him. And it just seems to be the same thing where he's very, he's very like snidey. He doesn't like any sort of competition to his teammates. Yet anywhere he's gone, he's been consistently outdriven, whether it be Sergio Perez at Force India or now Daniel Ricciardo at Renault. And I wouldn't be surprised if next year, Fernando Alonso with a three year hiatus finishes better than him in the championship next year. I wouldn't be surprised. Two year hiatus, sorry. But yeah, he's just average. <laughs> I've got, I've got he's average and he's not, he's good, not good, looking. good looking. He's got shit uh, chat. He's, he's not bad looking. 
Jashan, where did you you go same route or did you go for the um, cop out and take Alex Albon? Uh, no, well, did you go uh, for the only first, other route? My first thought, my first thought was Alex Albon, obviously. Because I'm just gonna can I just quickly say here. Completely forgot about Albon when it came to this. I like looked through the table. I was like, yeah, who's That's just, the who, thing. You forget about Alex Albon because he's already out of your yeah. mind. He's fucked <laughs> off. Spencer he won't be Alex coming back anytime go Alex Albon. I was like, oh, yeah. He won't be coming yeah, back Yeah, Alex Albon was soon. fucking shit, wasn't he? Completely yeah. forgot about him. Um, that's a fair shout. But at the same time, he is a young driver with minimal experience. And we all can kind of agree that he was put into that car too quickly. There are a couple of experienced drivers that I wanted to focus on a bit more. Valtteri Bottas, you guys know how much, how I feel about Valtteri Bottas. He's shit. What, what's your What's your opinion about Valtteri Bottas? He's a fucking cuckold, and he needs to go on a vacation. Oh, is he now? Never I've never heard back. you mention that before. But my pick is actually Sebastian Vettel for this, um, because this has worked out very nicely. Sure, he's mentally checked out, and he's ready for next season, whatever. But a four-time world champion shouldn't be languishing as much as he did. When you've got this young gun proving that, okay, the car's shit, but you can still do things with the car. And all right, maybe Ferrari are building the car more towards Charles's liking, but we also saw in Turkey that Sebastian Vettel, when giving it a fair shake, can still put in work. And he just wasn't for most of the year. That was my second and pick, was Vettel. Yeah. I agree with that. And yeah. to me, that's, that's disappointing and a little bit underwhelming. I was just say it's happily here. Um, I wrote down two name boy, two names boys, and was still trying to toss up between the two. Mm. And those names were Ocon, Ford slash Vettel. <laughs> so um, happily, I can now cast the deciding vote here. Okay. Um, and I think I think it was Jashan's sort of points to agree with him, Vettel. But I think it was because of the mentally checked outness. Like obviously, Vettel under in many ways that is the definition of underwhelming because we know what Vettel could do. We saw it at times. Mm. But I think you know. I I just don't... It doesn't bother me quite as much because I do think if Vettel had given a damn, he would have put in a much better that. And I don't think there was a reason for him to give a damn. No, it's and fair. That, so I'm going with Ocon because having been a little bit out of the Formula 1 game for the last few years, more just keeping a loose eye on it, not really watching races and stuff like that, I hadn't seen, really seen Esteban Ocon. I was aware of it, but I never really saw Esteban Ocon's first go around in F1 with the Force India. And that, but I'd heard good things. Everyone raves about this Ocon kid. He was one of the, you know, he was like the next in the line to like that Mercedes spot. He'd out, you know, outshone Pascal Wehrlein and seen him off. And, you know, it was, could he get there? And obviously George Russell's cropped up and that's all died in the water. But, you know, I had some expectations. I thought, well, it'll be interesting to see what this Ocon kid can do. Mm. And he had moments. There was a couple of spots early on in that. I remember in Britain, I think. Mm-hmm. He qualified. Was it? He qualified top five, or did he race top five? He raced. He, he, he did something, and it was quite. And I was like, "Yeah, this here we go. This is what I was expecting." And then until the podium, that was about the only time he showed it for the whole season. He just started doing more and more of holding up Ricardo, or just just generally doing nothing and being very forgettable. Mm-hmm. And I think with the way everybody talked so highly of this bloke, I felt very underwhelmed in the expectations I'd been given by my observation of the Formula 1 community the last few years. Why was there all this hype about this kid? He doesn't seem like much. That's fair. So I think for me, Believe it that's or why not, I'm going Esteban Ocon. Perez was the heel when they were at Force India. Perez was labeled oh, yeah. as the bad guy. And he was like the... Because he qualified in third in a like rain-ravaged qualifying in Spa. And that season, I think they tangled with each other on 
I know from exact memory in Singapore, they crashed Singapore. each other out. At Baku, Paris, they crashed each other out. And at Spa, the they crashed each other out. Yeah. So that's three races in that year. And Perez was seen as the guy that was like in the wrong. And then obviously, um, you know, but like, you know, rewind a few years, Lance Stroll comes in, one of them's got to go. Perez gets to keep it because he had the money. Um, mm. And then he went from being the bad guy to now, you know, he was the, the good guy in the face in all the drama that happened this year. And yeah, Ocon has just like, it's, it's so weird with like, well, you know, who you're driving for and what your expectations were. Because if you look at him compared to, and nothing against Danny Kvyat, let's like, you know, compare the two of them. You would say that Ocon has had better performances for the last year, maybe two years than what Kvyat has. But Kvyat is in a position where he's not, you know, he's sort of like understanding that he's never going to challenge for world championship aspirations and more to the point he doesn't act like anywhere near as a wanker mm. as has he I would say Kibiat's had better performances than Ocon personally second half of this season oh no yeah like in, in the past like for no, sure no even like, in the last two years Kibiat's podium last like year that. was again in a in a whack ass race but uh, somehow Kibiat's more podium, impressive than Ocon's podium that's it I, I feel like even though it was in that whack as fuck wet German race I feel like Kibiat was a more legit podium than Ocon's was as a Is firm she, member of the Kvyat crew, I can confirm that Danny Kvyat will be challenging for the 2022 And I think title. I would say Kvyat's had better results because Kvyat is in a much worse car and has at times overproduced in it where Ocon, mm. Ocon, apart from his absolute best results, all of Ocon's other results are doing what you'd expect from it or worse than what it should be doing. You heard it here, folks. Audi are making an F1 team. Danny Kvyat will be their star driver and he will win in 2022. Fact. Also, Esteban Ocon provided our best um, show title of the season with the classic Spencer pun, Esteban not, not on. on. Mm. Iconic. Oh, no, that's an award we should have had. What was our best show title for the year? I think you'll find it was. <laughs> I've bought a formula. I've bought a car company to sponsor my Formula One team. <laughs> that is a good one. We've had. Um, mm. but, uh, move us. We must digress and move on. Um, I will take us on to the Most Improved Driver Award, and because this is one that I'm very, very decisive on, and I have a feeling you're pretty sure you're definitely going the same route Mm -hmm. as me. I'm going to assume Spence probably is as well. Um, So instead of launching straight into it, I'm just going to ask you two boys, did anyone not go Pierre Gasly for this? I wrote down Pierre Gasly. I'm I'm voting for Pierre Gasly. Spencer, did you go elsewhere? Ah, he, he just wants to, he just the wants trend to, equals bucked once he, more. He, well, no, no, the trend is now that Spencer is uh, consistently trying to go for left field options. Yes. That is, so the trend is not bucked. The trend is trended. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, Deshaun and I, we can get cracking on Pierre mm. Gasly and that. I think I'll be interested to see where Spencer's gone. I'm trying to even speculate who else it could be, but... Obviously, focus Pierre, on, Pierre, let's Pierre, focus on the man. Yeah, yeah. Pierre, Pierre Gasly. I think I just that's the thing to me. I don't think there's anyone else you could really like. Maybe like a Norris or something. But I think Gasly, Sean, come from a much lower floor. Gasly was at, you know, I think Gasly's climb back starts two races before the end of last season in Brazil. But I think up until that point, he hit after being the wonder kid coming up through some of the a wonder kid coming up through the junior categories. Had a good sort of first year in Toro Rosso. Then got thrust into that Red Bull seat, very fresh, <laughs> and he probably you know hit rock bottom when he got dumped after a Spa, I believe it was, or just yep. before Spa, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He obviously then 
had some decent results in the Toro Rosso in the back half of the year, and then obviously hit a new level when he came. I mean, in a race for a few guys that, but he came P2, and he out-dragged race Lewis Hamilton down the, the main straight in Brazil. And from there, he just brought that form into this year. And as I said, I think he was probably the under... He was just about, for me, the easily undisputed um, driver of the season for the first half of the season. Definitely cooled off since his win in Monza. But he's still just... There's so many drives that Pierre Gasly, whether it was obviously the right place, right time, but still brilliant defending from Carlos Sainz and a brilliant job of just checking out initially as well to build up a gap in Monza whether it was his comeback through the pack in Spa on a turn of strategy, and he's had a couple of other ones like that as well, I know. And just the same Monza may not even be his best drive. Probably he not, oh, without a doubt. Like, he was off strategy at Spa, and he got fucked over by the safety car, and he still came back to P8. And then, you know, he got top sixes at Portugal and Bahrain. They were both just brilliant as well. You know what I mean? Like, it's just been good all season. And yeah. He drove with swashbuckling exuberance. He did, mm. he did. He really did. Always happy to make a bold move as well. Oh, yeah. And oh, executed yeah. them very, very well. Absolutely. Beautiful rehabilitation story. Um, and what, he won that? He won at Monza almost a year after being dumped by Red Bull. Yep. I think. But, um, and yeah, he's kind of in the same situation that science was in the past. He's kind of too good to be in a junior team or a junior program, quotation marks. You know, having dragged Alcatari over 100 points this season for... I don't know. Has that happened before for that team? I don't even know. Don't believe so. Like, there's rumours that he goes to Renault in a couple of seasons. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, just brilliant. Superb. Right, so, so Spencer, where did where did you go for this? Was it? Yeah, it'll be Lando. It'll be Lando, surely. Like, I, I understand, like, it, it was really difficult for me to go between um, both Lando and Pierre. I think that they both had exceptional seasons. Um, obviously, the highlight being Pierre Gasly's win at Monza. But the thing that got me or got it over the edge for me for Lando was that Lando was in his position with way more pressure um, and his team was fighting for third in the constructors. And it was the, not necessarily the consistency as if like I'm saying that Lando was more consistent than Gasly like compared to car performance. I just think that Lando overall for the year really proved that he can be a guy like not that Gasly can't but like he proved that like he can be a guy that McLaren can build with moving forward whereas I think Gasly like where Lando is in his career now I think this is Gasly probably the year after next when he moves on from AlphaTauri maybe to Alpine or to another team but I think Lando just proved his maturity this season um, and that I, now, at least next year, looking with that Mercedes engine, that you'd have to think that Lando's probably going to be odds-on for a fifth or sixth place every race. Like, that's going to be his flaw. You know what I mean? Whereas Gasly's probably still a year away with his car. If Gasly was in the McLaren, like, or he was in a better like better piece of machinery, it probably would have been Gasly. Um, but I just think over the course of the season, um, for me, it was Lando. But how does a car's performance impact on how well a driver is? Yeah, see, I think that massively undermines your point. No, no, no. You can't just go, oh, well, if he was in a better car, he'd be the most improved driver. No, but because, because Lando was doing it in a better car, but he was getting better results in a third position in the World, in the world Championship standings. That's what I'm saying is that, I, like, you can't... I can a lot of that's kind of science as well. I can look at... Gasly carried Alvatar. And this is coming from the Kvyat dick. Oh, I fucking love me some Danny Kvyat. But Lando had 97 points. 
Gasly had 75 and 25 yeah, of those points. That's point a 22 point margin. There is more than a yeah, 22 point margin in those 20, two cars. 25 of those points came from a Monza race that, despite it being a fantastic moment for F1, that could have been literally anybody that got that win. It was, but Lando Lando got bank, way more bank points than he should have from that race as well. Last lap, Lando. Scenario seven, baby. And how, much, how many of Lando's points came in the first three or four races of the season before he then cooled down a bit? I, I think it's Lando or Pierre are the two. Oh, I fully I'm agree. glad Spencer chatted about because Lando's had a brilliant year. Yeah. And he is probably the most loved personality on the grid as well. I think he's... Uh, yeah, he's definitely... Yeah, he's, he's, he's in the frame. Yeah. I think all the kids are quite loved. Yes, yeah, him, him, George... George. I think Pierre. Daniel Rick, Daniel Rick yeah. will always be there. Daniel Rick's Papa Goof. Even Charles. Charles Leclerc. Yeah, he's Papa Goof and Lando's the Prince of Goof. So I am so excited for the fucking, the social medias next season. Oh, those two absolutely. Fucking... Absolutely. I mean, they've already, you saw it on the broadcast all throughout the year. They always seem to follow each other, be the consecutive um, yeah. post-race Sky interviews. Oh, they even the chat they were throwing at each other at the end of the year. Yeah, each other that. Like, all sorts they of just ask them, like, oh, Lando, are like, yeah, you excited yeah, yeah. have Daniel Rick as yeah, um, your teammate next year? He's like, no. No. Tell him to get off my stage. <laughs> and then they ask Daniel, like, oh, Daniel, are you keen to be driving Lando? He's like, oh, no, not really. Like, I actually asked them if they could get rid of Lando before next year, but they said that he was contracted under them. So I guess they just have to deal with him now for the rest of the year. <laughs> And I will say Lando Norris had the best helmet of the season with that um the children's and the pizza one. The fucking pizza one was tasty. Quite literally, the pizza. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh huh. Um, That brings us on to the best team that wasn't Mercedes. I reckon this is going to be another two-one split. I think I can see myself and Spencer going the same option. I have a feeling Jashan will take the other one. Oh yeah. Um, Spencer. Would I be right in surmising that you're yes. going to say McLaren here? 100% yes. yes. Mm. Jashan, are you going to say Racing Point? No. You're not. Are you no. saying McLaren? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have unanimous agreement, boys. We have all taken McLaren for the best team, not Mercedes. I wanted to go Racing Point, but you can't vote for a team who, A, got docked 15 points for copying someone else's brake ducks, B, fuck Sergio Perez out of a podium with blatantly shit calls. And, ah, uh, I mean... You know what I'm hearing, Spencer? Mm. My I, heart's I with think, Racing Point. My think, heart's with Aston think, Martin. I think Daddy Stroll might so. be out of cash. <laughs> yeah, because... This wasn't, this wasn't the tune we were hearing at the start of the year. No, because he's putting all his money into his law defense from Nikita Mazepin's dad. <laughs> That's a, such a weird one. <laughs> So to point out that um, Lawrence Stroll didn't outbid Mazepin's dad. That's what he's bothered by. He reckons he had the highest bid no, and they I still know, gave it to Lawrence Stroll. They were embroiled in a very heated law battle. So why is McLaren the best team of the season other than Mercedes? Well, I think, okay. So if you look at, obviously, take Mercedes out of the equation. Realistically, your option, you eliminate Ferrari straight away because oh they were God. way below where you'd think Ferrari are. The three, the other two Ferrari-powered teams and um, Williams, just two backmarkery to ever be in the discussion. So that leaves you with McLaren, Renault, Racing Point, Alpha Tauri. Am I correct? Red oh, Bull. Red Bull. I think Renault, I think we'd all agreed by the end of the season after their really good mid-season form did really tail away down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that takes them out of it. Red Bull, 
Is it see Red Bull? I think you eliminate Red Bull because as of it, that's a thing. Verstappen was incredible, but I think we all acknowledge that whatever that car that they made this year was a fucking bitch to drive, and it's only because Verstappen is Verstappen that he was able to get that out of it. Mm-hmm. And I, like it's not as bad as Albon probably made no, it no, seem. No. But um, very they had an interview with Marco. What's his name? No. Yeah, um, and he said that the car was like like very tricky and was very um, like variable depending on conditions. Where like they're talking like if the winds were slightly different on a different turn between Verstappen and Albon, that that was causing massive issues and downforce. And overall, that for the entire year, the car like normally they're a car that prides itself on its aeros and its chassis. But this year coming out, they were saying that this Honda engine was actually going to you know turn some heads and it did it definitely did like you looked at the performances Alpha Tauri put in and then some of the performances Red Bull had on particularly power driven tracks um, and my biggest thing as well yep. is that like I was looking at it from an entire team perspective so not just what they were racing and how they were going like on the track but like what they were doing in order to put their drives in the best position and you may as well it, yep. it wasn't even Red Bull racing it was Max Verstappen racing because that's all they cared about and when you're completely yeah. negating <laughs> yeah. one of your drivers you're setting yourself up for failure. That's it. Yeah, no, agreed. And so that leaves us with three teams. Racing Point, McLaren, AlphaTauri. I kind of, that's the thing. I obviously joked about Jashan holding those opinions, but I do think Racing Point at times made really, really questionable strategy calls, particularly yep. with Perez, which with all the other circumstances oh, going on, made it, made it hard yeah. to not be like, hmm, are they trying to intentionally... Make sure that, you know, Lance finishes ahead of him. And they, there was even one of the Hockenberg races where they seemed to pit Hulkenberg at a weird spot. Yep. And, that and even ahead of Perez him. came out and yeah. said that I the think... engine that he was using for his um, secure race that he won, that was the engine they had in the car for Abu Dhabi. And that was an old engine and that was the most like unreliable engine that they had left without incurring a penalty. And they threw that one into secure just to hope that it stayed together. And luckily it did. But the engine before the race in Bahrain, that one as well was the second most unreliable that they had left. So for that last bit of the season, they were just throwing shit into Perez's car, just hoping that everything would work out. And you could say that it did to one point because they got that race win and that was just a fantastic moment. But the two like the two issues either side of that just make you question, like, how do you negate those things moving into next year? Because obviously there are engine regulations and how many like you know units you can have but what happens if Aston Martin is fighting for second place next year in the constructors are they going to come up with the same issues moving forward because yeah. like if you're having to use two yeah. old engines in the last three races like you're going to have more situations where the engine blows up rather than it like squeaking you away for a win so i don't know like no, they absolutely. need they need better guidance and like i maybe you know they're going to bring some people in, but yeah, what we thought racing point were going to be from week or race three to where they finished. Like we were all yep. thinking they were going to run away with third place. Like, and it looked like yep. they were in many ways. And they they just, yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, that leaves you, leaves you with two, two very credible options. Alpha Tauri, McLaren. I think Alpha Tauri probably punched above their weight more than any other team this mm-hmm. year. Yep. Obviously with that race win, what do they end up with on total points? A uh, hundred and something. Um, Alpha Tauri. Yeah, hundred and something. Hundred and something, which I think would be by. Obviously, scoring system has changed, but I'd be interested to see 
even in that Vettel year, whether that they would have got to that number of points if it had the same um, scoring system. It probably easily their best ever season in their history, I think. 24 points behind Ferrari, almost 100 points ahead of Alfa um, And so obviously that was markedly impressive. There was plenty of races where they really were. Spencer, to why did you big boys go with McLaren um, for but best team that wasn't Mercedes? Well, like I was saying with... Um with Red Bull, you want to kind of look at everything that the team's doing. Um, and in the social media-driven world, um, I think McLaren's game is pretty strong. Um, obviously, the relationship that Lando and Carlos have um, is a reflection on the working environment that they have around them. Um, the Like, everyone there looks to be happy. Like, the engineers love both of their drivers. Um, Zach Brown has done an amazing job in letting them sort of be themselves while also making it clear to them that they still need results and they still need to race hard. And then bringing that point into Zach Brown is how he's turned that team around since 2017. And even just look at the photo of Carlos Sainz's two podiums and the amount of sponsors that he has on his suit in Brazil compared to how many sponsors he has in Monza. Um, Zach Brown has just gone above and beyond to get McLaren back onto the right track and also as well like you know at this point we think that having a Mercedes power unit unless you're a Williams is probably a good thing (laughs) Um, and they've got that locked up for next year and then you obviously can't take away from the fact that they've you know they've lost Carlos Sainz which is a you know a massive loss but I think at this stage in their careers I think Daniel Ricciardo is a better option to have in that car for next year that will push them to more, you know, hopefully more race wins and you'd have to believe more podiums. Um, and they got third in the constructors this year in a season where they they had some races there, like particularly in the middle of the season where they just weren't picking up any points, but they managed to, you know, fight through the storm um, and put together a winning car or, you know, a point scoring car at the end of the season while also having to put in a lot of effort, making sure that their chassis is going to be able to fit that Mercedes unit next year. So I think in terms of where McLaren would want to be, I don't think that they could have asked for anything more that would have been, you know, too unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, Com- completely agree. And actually, I think it's just the fact that it was both drivers that performing, the whole team was on song. As you said, that just that team dynamic... And that, it seems like the team that everyone would want to drive for all of a sudden, which considering two years ago, McLaren really was in just the biggest of fucking ruts. The Honda thing was not working out to see where they are now, two years down the line. And that, like, again, I almost guarantee it. When we do our prediction episode to start next season, I will probably be predicting a McLaren win because it's going to be coming. Mm. Oh, there'll be more Um, than that because Daniel Rick's getting the champion next year. That's very true. <laughs> big facts, big facts. You got anything to add on to that, Jashan? Oh, he smashed it. That would, yeah, that would brilliant. Yeah, I think Racing Point shot themselves in the foot a little bit this season. Renault weren't quite as good, and AlphaTauri probably isn't in the same conversation as those three teams. So yep. I think McLaren McLaren's the only real option you can pick there, and um, they deserve it wholeheartedly. All right. That brings us on to overtake of the season. Um, I'm happy to go first. Cool. Which was yours? <coughs> For best o- overtake of the season, yeah. I, just, I want to make special mention uh, to Kimi Raikkonen taking 10 spots. 
in that, uh, I forget which Grand Prix it was, but that was pretty magnificent. But for the, uh, the one singular move that I thought was just the most daring, the most entertaining, the most brilliant, I'd say Pierre Gasly taking Sergio Perez through Eau Rouge. Bloody brilliant. Now Sergio Perez is going to be a bit under pressure with Pierre Gasly as they go side by side through Eau Rouge. And Pierre Gasly, what a move that was on Sergio Perez. It was like Weber and Alonso, but the other side of the track this time around. Yeah, that's getting a bit naughty down there. That'd be an airplane crash if they touched. I think that's just watching the footage of it now. Um, I imagine Spencer will agree with this as well. I think it's definitely you can't can't fault that option at all in terms of a ball, just a ballsy move. That's such a such a tricky corner. Um, not to say I'm anything of an expert on it, but like have you know, it's a tricky corner on the game. I can only imagine it's a million <laughs> times trickier in real life. The <laughs> speed you're carrying through there, and the load of the car, and the fact that you're going instantly into the change of direction back the other way for Redillion. Um. Yeah, you're going through the dip. And obviously there's that huge wall all the way down the inside of the run. And Perez, you know, effectively forces Gasly into that wall. And he just goes, nah, keeping my foot. And that's what we talked about earlier when we mentioned some of the ballsy moves he made. He just goes, nah, fuck it. Keeping my foot to the floor Mm -hmm. and just powers, powers past Perez and says, this is my line, this is my corner. Yeah, he came out and said after the race he thought he was going to hit the wall. He genuinely thought he was, but he was fucking go for it, you know. Ballsy play. It was like Alonso. Wait, no, Weber on Alonso, but on the other side of the track, if I'm not mistaken. That is what they said on commentary. Yes, yes, it is is what they they said said on commentary. commentary. It's a little bit naughty down there, according to Martin Brundle. I listen to commentary. I'm very good at this. (laughs) Spencer, you have any thoughts on... I'm assuming Gasly on Perez was on your shortlist. Yeah, that was definitely on my shortlist. Yeah, you know, you hit all the the points there. Like, uh, one of the fastest corners um, in the F1 calendar... A very unforgiving corner if you get it wrong, um, and to be pushed on, and that's the thing. Like a lot of other drivers might have like pulled out a little bit early, and I think that's what Perez was expecting. Um, kudos to Perez for giving him, you know, just enough of a car which to get it through there. But yeah, that was just a fantastic move, and particularly as well an AlphaTauri against a Mercedes-powered um, hmm. racing car. Yeah. Like that's it was a, on the harder tire as well at the time. Yeah, such a such a absolute power play of a move. Uh, Spencer, what did you have as your manoeuvre? Well, I wanted to throw a little bit of love old uh, Albon's way. So if we uh, take ourselves back in time to the Tuscan Grand Prix, and he does, uh, as we know, Mm. that he doesn't really like the inside of the track at all. Um, He likes to go along the outside. And after the restart where seven or so cars just decided to crash into each other, um, Perez takes him on the inside off the restart, he has a car on his outside, and as he's getting around the first turn, he looks like he might have a little bit of a little bit of a dip. That doesn't pay off for him, but he stays true to it. Um, and a couple corners later, he just sticks it just right on the outside and just gets great traction Paris out of there. It's just ahead of Alex Albon as up the hill they climb towards Luco and Bottas, trying to get past Danny Ricciardo, but there's no room there for him. Only 12 cars, but on the field. But what an exciting start it was as Alex Albon goes around the outside of Sergio Perez. Great move, and he had to get that done. Uses a little bit um, too much curb. Like, he probably would have got a warning from Jeff if that was an F1 2020. Um, <laughs> but I think that was just a very a very ballsy move. And again, in a car that you would think that might not have the power that the racing point had, and I just thought that was a great move. Um, and not to pick on Perez, he's a fantastic driver. 
Um, I think it almost shows how good of a driver he is that cars are still able to get these daring overtakes on him. And he's not going to do the old Lewis Hamilton and just shunt you into the kitty litter. Yeah, the old inside-outside, inside-outside crisscross. It was very nice. And that's moves like that are why Red Bull stuck with him for so long because they know that he's good in traffic. In theory, he can make these daring moves and he's willing to do that. We just didn't see enough of it over the course of the season and he didn't perform well enough in qualifying to keep his spot. But, yeah, that move is resembling of how good Albon can be. Absolutely. Yeah, so I've gone with um, a little bit, almost more of a battle than a move, but obviously it did end in an overtake and it was just a really long side by side. Um, I'll let the commentary team take us through it, but it is... Uh, Perez on Esteban Ocon in Portugal. Here goes Sergio Perez on Esteban Ocon. He's alongside the Renault, has to run out wide. Ocon gives him enough space to do that. And now they're going to fight it out like Raikkonen and Sainz did a few moments ago. Ocon stays in that fifth position then. And Perez will chase him all the way down to the hairpin. No DRS here, of course. Can Perez get past Esteban Ocon? Under braking. He's just ahead, but has the long way round the outside there. And Ocon might be able to fight this back again. They are now going wheel to wheel over the crest Perez on the right hand side gets the inside line for the next turn still Ocon won't fight uh, give up the fight eventually he has to because Perez just has a better line and Sergio Perez up into fifth place I think from memory the battle starts off down I think the main straight um, Perez gets the DRS run on him and plonks himself. Ocon takes the inside line Perez has to go the outside sits the entire way around the outside of him through that initial sort of Cutler right-hander complex. Can't quite make it stick. Ocon sneaks back across in front of him and holds on. They run down to the next corner and Perez goes to the outside again, puts himself on the outside of Ocon, drives about level to him on the outside around a double apex left-hander. They go the length of the next straight and then with a double apex right and Perez finally pushes his way through. But they spend almost like half the lap basically Mm. side-by-side with each other, wheel-to-wheel racing and Perez finally getting it done. On from memory, what was another one of his very good drives? Obviously, he got again um, as he seems to do this season, spun early on thanks to Verstappen, and then <laughs> had to produce a recovery drive for good points. And I just thought, yeah, it was one of the best battles of the season, and then it ended in a really good move as well. Um, so yeah, for me, that was the that was the option I went with. Yeah, there's one thing Ocon is good at it's his defensive driving, and you saw that yep, there without a doubt. And Portimao was also a track that proved to be. Sparse in terms of overtakes, like a lot of people are calling it Catalonia mm, Mini. No, that was Imola, wasn't it? No, no. Put them out. I thought put them out. Did have overtakes? People didn't? liked it because it looks pretty, but it was also very much. It wasn't okay. a lot of overtakes. I thought, I thought it was a decent. There were some good moments, but yeah. not a whole lot of superb moves. And Perez kind of proves there. Just gets it done. Fair enough. Yeah. Just gets it done. All right, that brings us to the Cricket captain. Ra- <laughs> Brings us to um, the best race of the season. I think there's obviously a few a few contenders around for this, but I will start with you, Spencer. What have you gone with for your race of the year? This one was tough um, for me. I had a few a few shortlisted, um, and how I went with my moment of the season impacted how I went with this one. Um, but for race of the year, I got to go Turkey. Mm. Bloody good options, absolutely, considering it myself. Yeah, yeah. Good race. Um, I think it just, it had a little bit of everything, really. Um, 
obviously in qualifying we saw Stroll and Perez go one two so there was already a little bit of, you know anytime Mercedes don't look like they're the fastest on the track there's always a little bit of um, more interest or a bit more drama that can be associated to the race um, you had Verstappen um, nearly been in the car early on into the wall trying to get around Perez on the outside um, then you had the you know the the change in conditions where it didn't look like it was going to be like it looks like it was just too wet to get onto the dry tires but then it wasn't wet enough so you saw the guys constantly like in the straights like going off onto the wet line trying to keep the tires cool you had Lewis Hamilton at one point who was down you know what 35 seconds from the lead storm through the field to end up you know winning that race and then with that getting his seventh world title you had the drama at the end of Charles locking up in the third last corner and then Perez and Vettel swamping him for the finish you had Perez going something like 50 laps on his tyres. You had, you know, Lance Stroll like leading the race and then changing onto his tyres and they just immediately started graining on him and then he just went through the pack. Like it just had just everything. And then even the midfield battle towards the end there, I think Lando made a couple of shrewd moves to maybe sneak into the top 10 yeah. and get some points as well. Like it was just a fantastic A couple race. of shrewd moves. I think I know what moment you're going for, but yeah, that was... They produced some fucking epic moments. It really was. It was an absolute cracker of a race. The only real thought I can have... It was, was actually wet. Yeah, with Turkey. was in, for just the way it went. And that was a bloody impressive ride by Hamilton. But because it ended up being a dominant Hamilton win, it did just leave that little bit of a bitter taste in your mouth. Whereas, you know... Like, obviously, amazing, amazing race. But obviously, you know, if you compare it... Like, it, for me, it just can't quite hold the same as Germany last year because obviously Germany last year ended up resulting in something a bit different for the year with a Verstappen win, no Hamilton on the podium, and you're like, oh, yes. Whereas obviously the end result of Turkey, as great as it was, did end up being a fairly non-standard podium with Perez in second, Vettel in third, but, you know, your standard run-of-the-mill win with Hamilton. So you're going for like a Monza then? I'm, I, so I think I might be taking the left field option here and, Call it recency bias, but I'm going secure. Right. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I think... In the conversation, for yep, sure. I think started with a bang, obviously, with Leclerc, just deciding to um, completely yeet Sergio Perez <laughs> and take the Stappen down with him. Yeah. Um, obviously, it settled down for a bit and became the George Russell show for a good 50, 60 laps. But even while that was happening, there were still some good moments. There was a few interesting battles. You know, people would try to go side by side with each other through the wiggly bit up the top. Um, kept it interesting enough. And then obviously with, what, 20, 25 laps to go, Jack Aiken decided that he wasn't quite ready for this whole F1 thing yet and just would have a spin at the last corner, take his wing off, mm-hmm. bring out a safety car, and it all kicked off. You had the Mercedes tyre drama as they put Bottas's tyres onto Russell's car, which meant Bottas got completely shafted and came back out in fifth when he should have easily come back out in second. And then they had to bring... Uh, Russell in for a second stop dropping him to fifth you then had Russell at this point you had Perez obviously Perez had his brilliant recovery drive going the whole race that's what kept the middle of it interesting watching Perez carve through the field you suddenly had Perez now running in the lead ahead of Ocon and Stroll yeah Uh uh-huh um you then had Russell (coughs) start carving back through getting past Bottas with that brilliant move which I think we all said you know was in contention for one of the moves of the season yeah yeah Russell going through the asses, sort of looking, crisscrossing him, sort of looked down the inside a little bit, I think, when a shallower, yeah, shallower line through the turn three, and that led him to crisscross the momentum to then 
lip up the inside and then hold it around the outside of the next one mm. to get past Bottas. Then you have Russell clo- clubbing past the other two, closing in on Perez. And I've as much as we argued for ages about it a couple of weeks back, I do think it was still a do will will he won't he catch him and be able to get past him because he wasn't closing at an insane rate of knots. And then obviously the Russell puncture. He faded away, and then the end result is a Sergio Perez win, which incredibly feel-good story, and that. And for me, so I just had a lot, and I just, yeah, I thoroughly, especially as well, because more so than perhaps any of the other really good Grand Prix, I had very low expectations from it. I wasn't particularly yeah, thinking much to come out. Huge win. No one was at, and it turned out to be a belter of a track, which I'd love to see again, and just, yeah, a great, exciting race. Yeah. And there was no Hamilton to even come in the points and ruin it. So that was always nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, Trishan, where have you... Yeah, but it has some good um, battles between, I think it was Sainz and Ricardo as well. And yep. Kvyat raced well, which always, you know, makes me happy. But I'm actually picking a race whereby Danny Kvyat retired, hey. along with a lot of other drivers. I'm hey. picking Austria, the uh, season opener. Nine, nine retirements. And I think the reason why... I've gone Austria because it had it had a bit of everything. It had good overtakes, good moves, good drama. It came down to the last lap. You know, you had that last lap overtake. You had obviously last lap Lando scenario seven was epic. Just seeing him chasing down that five second time gap between him and Hamilton. It's fucking awesome. Loki best overtake of the season. Loki, <laughs> and you know you had um, a bit of foreshadowing with Albon getting dicked out of his podium and then. Such a sore loser. Such a such a this guy's such a sore loser. You're a sore loser, Alvin. Calm down, mate. But I've gone Austria, and yeah, I just had a bit of everything for me, and superb way to start off the season as well. The F1 could not have wished for a better season opener to get oh, people it, excited it was and interested. A, a great, great race. Very, very thoroughly enjoyed Austria. Yes, and you know, heartbreaking for Kimi Raikkonen to watch his right front wheel just vacate from his car. Indeed. Yeah, wheel, give me a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that. Unless Spencer, you have anything to say on either of those two races? No, I agree it? wholeheartedly. Brings and, us. But to shout out to Monza and Mugello as Monza, well. Specifically Mugello, Monza. Some superb um, races this year. Yeah, no, there's been some very, very strong contenders. Nurburgring was a lot of fun as well. I yep. thought. Um, the, the British races, I thought, both yep. had some really interesting... That's actually where I thought you were going when you were saying the retirement. So, and Kvyat retiring. I thought I was thinking you were no. about to say the um, British GP. And then you pulled a little sneaky on us. Nah, in Austria. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of contenders this season. A lot of contenders, absolutely. Uh, and so that brings us to the moment of the season. I'm going to start with you, Jashan. Straight on to me, mate. Straight on Fuck. to you. Fuck. Well, there are some fucking epic ones. Lando Norris had butting a bird, of course. We all uh, will remember that fondly. Lewis Hamilton winning a race on three wheels. Uh, a few emotional ones as well, but I've gone um, more the serious route. And I've gone that, that first camera shot of just Romain Grosjean safe and okay in that ambulance. is for me, the best moment of the uh, F1 season, just to know that, you know, he did not pass away in that ridiculous fireball that we all saw. So for me, that, you know, thank God feeling of relief is my best moment of the F1 season. I think that's a very, very reasonable answer to give. It was certainly one I was considering myself. Um, Mm. 
I think. I mean, the whole the whole crash. I think could be considered one of the moments of the season. That's just everything surrounding that was mm. such a key key moment in not just this season but the history of F one. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Spencer, I'm speculating based off your pick of race. As well as you, you sort of seem to tease a little bit what your moment of the season might be. So let's let's go ahead and hear it. It's got to be, it's got to be Monza. It's got to be Pierre Gasly getting his getting his maiden victory in F one, and you know just that whole podium in itself was a podium we'd never seen before. Um, and you know, card and that's the thing I was like tossing out between like Monza and Turkey is that they were both such great races. But in terms of the moment, I think the like the the moment for me is that photo um, after everything's done and Pierre Gasly just sitting on the top step of the podium with the champagne bottle in front of him and the trophy and just kind of like looking down, just like sort of like soaking it all in. Um, and the last 24 months that that kid has had, it was just such a such an awesome feel good moment to see it all finally pay off. Yeah, it was just fantastic. So when you yeah, when you said that uh, my race choice defined the moment that I picked, I thought you were going to go for Lewis Hamilton, like winning his seventh championship. No, no. So it was I was if I went oh. if I went because if I, I was thinking <laughs> I was thinking Monza was going to be my best race, but then like the the race yeah. itself wasn't as as crazy. Like yeah, we had the the red yeah. flag, but then Absolutely. after the restart, it was still pretty standard. But then. It was a good moment for Lewis getting his seventh, but it was, you know, from, I mean, when the season ended last year, you pretty much were aware that it was going to happen this year, whereas, like, that Gasly win was, like, a a pretty big shock to the system. Um, And the last 10 or so laps with Sainz trying to catch him down was just great racing because it was two cars that actually had genuine strengths and weaknesses that were different to one another and two young drivers who were just absolutely trying to send it. And like you were saying, Matt Hamilton was nowhere near anything, so there was no chance that he was going to goof anything up. Yeah, yeah. When Sainz is like, "Yeah, no, I'm going for this win," and then toward the end, I think he got DRS with a lap to go. Gone. He got DRS with a lap to go. I, uh, I think. Yeah, I think so. He's so fucking close. Um, I'll be honest. Um, I went the same moment. I sort of was tossing between that or Perez's win at Sakia, and I think because I went with Sakia for the race, I'm also going to go with Monza Pierre Gasly's win. I just think there was. Just a just that little hint more emotion and that and I don't know Pierre Gasly's arc and just I mean that whole podium had so much as well because like Carlos Sainz I think was the more impactful P two as well probably because he was obviously really excited to come P two great for the team the team of that but you could obviously tell like I don't think there was any real devastation from Ocon to have not won in Sakia because he was nowhere near Paris. Mm. But for Carlos Sainz, you had that real thing of, obviously, I'm really happy to be second. This is my best ever result in Formula One. But, like, as he said, he wanted that win. Yeah. yeah. And you could see that, that win. That was awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I think Monza as well. I will just say, because obviously spent that, um, in terms of, like, more smaller smaller things, that I think for me, in Austria, that last lap Lando scenario, yeah. seven. Yeah. Um, and then the following week in Styria, those two combined – of he's just moves towards the end of races. So obviously, yeah, yeah, scenario seven, making up the five second deficit on the final what two laps I think on lap or two on Hamilton, yeah. and then the week after making up three positions in two laps to come from so him, I think sixth. So sick. Yeah, and yeah, I, just to go back to Lewis Hamilton winning a seventh championship, 
there was a moment at the end because obviously Vettel, that was his only podium of the season, where Vettel's like gone over to Lewis and congratulating him and just like so much greatness in one photo. You know what I mean? That was that was nice to see. It's always was fun anyone to see else him. in that photo? Sergio, 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 Sergio no, 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 just fucked off. I was, I was, oh no, I just wanted to check whether it was you can only see the two of them in that photo. Or yeah, there's the, the one Sergio photo. Perez, there's, there's a greatness, you know. It's um, the greatest of all time. Like Vettel leaning and over Hamilton. and dapping him up. Yeah. But that was even just a great yeah. podium as well. Like three guys that you know, yeah, that was awesome. we like Deshaun spoke about it early in the pod. You know, the tire whisperer that is Sergio Perez, and I like it. The number of laps that he had on those tyres was, I think, absolutely oh. crazy. Because also as well, like when Stroll went in and then he had the graining problems, Perez took a massive gamble because pretty much if for every lap that he didn't pit, he was on older tyres and he just said, you know what, stuff it. Like, I'm just going to try to hold this out for the rest of the way. And he said that if he had one more lap that Vettel and Leclerc both would have taken him. Um, and mm-hmm. to see Hamilton, Perez and Vettel on the podium, um, I think that could potentially be a podium next year that we hopefully see um, yeah. more often than not. Absolutely. I think that'd be, and especially like, and that's the thing, like three, three top guys that are now going to be driving what we think are going to be top cars. Like that could be so much fun. So much fun. Absolutely. I think just a few more honorable mentions because the season was chock-a-block full of superb moments. Um, the Antoine Hubert, I guess, uh, remembrance that the F1 put on was yep. really, um, Done well, I think. Uh, really impressive. And then for a more lighthearted route, just uh, Lewis Hamilton downing a shoey. Yeah. The unhygienic fuck. Dan Ricciardo forgetting to do a shoey on his first podium. <laughs> yeah, it was good to see Dan get up there a couple of times as well for the Aussies out there. And you know what? Fuck it. Um, Piastri as well, getting his dub down in the level. Yep. And yep. just quickly, before we move on to a few other talking points, I would like to mention Nico Olkenberg coming back for some... <laughs> Fucking really good feel good moments as well. A couple of times this season, got to got to mention Big Nico. But um, actually, that's a that's a good one. Actually, maybe that's my moment of the year. Nico Hulkenberg's drive at the Eiffel Grand Prix. <laughs> He's changed when I've, he I've changed him. <laughs> he he rocked up ten minutes before. God, I forgot about it. ten minutes before qualifying or whatever it was. Qualified dead last because of it. Mm-hmm. And then what did he do? He drove to like P seven or something. Yeah. Stonker performance. Absolutely stonking. Can I just make a special note? The amount of times you have used the word stonking over this season of podcasting has been superb. I shake your hand, sir. I shake your hand. Impressive stuff. That McLaren for those two years was really stonking. And like obviously he's in a good car again. You've used stonking twice in one singular podcast. It's just a stonking word. What are some favourite moments of yours this season, Matthew? Something that really stands out to you? Some I think oh, what have I? So I've got a couple of couple of like two things that not necessarily favourites in that. The first thing to me that I think maybe left out for me this season, I just want to make a mention of Antonio Giovinazzi and his opening laps. Mm-hmm. Um, say what you will about where you think he's standing is in Formula One and whether or not he could be here and his hair and whatever. <laughs> There's one thing that Giovinazzi and that's you I'm looking at when it comes Fuck to his hair. Ah, uh, just fucking. It's fucking disgusting. There's one thing that man can do. It is get a good start and just an opening lap. I can't, don't know his exact stats. I should have checked this earlier, which I haven't mm-hmm. done. Like, the research. I hadn't thought 50, to research. Is it 50? It. I think it's I think around 50. 50 sounds right. See, Spencer does the research. He smashed the record. Absolutely smashed it. Yeah, no, obliterated, I think, Magnuson's, um, yeah, record. I think 50, about 50 sounds right. Um, 
you know, that's got to be the reason why he's kept his seat because he doesn't do anything else for fuck's sake. I mean, that car is terrible. But yeah, just it's the opening the laps. Market. I think I think he pretty much gained at least one position on every opening lap this season, except for Abu Dhabi. Um, mm, well, we know how shit Abu Dhabi is. So fuck yes, it. from which from memory he dropped about one spot. It's not leaving out to me here. I think no, we'll go somewhere. That's it. And fiftieish. Just yeah, decimated it. Very impressive, considering you know all the jokes that George Russell made in that video last year. Qualif- if someone qualifying right down the back, and you know yeah, George yeah. gained ten positions on the opening lap last season. I know Magnuson had a slightly a better record. I think Magnuson might have been somewhere in the thirties for his all time oh, record. Came back and then just it. yeah. Giovinacci this year just obliterated starting in the back and so often like if he started down the back he always seemed to be like P15-16 at the end of lap one yep. and if he'd had one where he snuck out was either close to sneaking out of Q1 or had snuck out of Q1 he was borderline on the points sometimes yes no yeah it was very impressive Antonio Giovinacci just doing some good work in, in, in the opening laps and K-Mag did the same not quite to the same extent but K-Mag had some bloody brilliant race starts I thought and Absolutely. There's two things he can do. It's uh, start well and finish early. Yeah. Was it si- no, Was it Norris who started right down the back in secure um, because of an engine or gearbox change or something? Oh, yeah. Because whichever be. one of them did, they yes. gained 10 spots on that first lap with everything that went well, on. Well, that's mad. Well, there were a few. And it was Kimi Raikkonen as well. Kimi Raikkonen's, yep, that, that lap in Portugal. Y- yes, that was spectacular. I think yeah. the other thing I'd probably want to touch on from this season that was a recurrent theme throughout which obviously culminated in the Grosjean accident, was just safety in this year. I think it was something earlier, remember early on in the season, there was a two or three week streak where it felt like Spencer and I were talking about safety, whether it was um, Leclerc's crash in Monza, when he Mm. went into the barrier pretty hard, um, the Giovinazzi crash in Belgium that caused his wheels to come off and Mm. strike Russell's car, Mm. obviously the restart pile-up, in Mugello, there was just a real stretch that was safety was obviously talked about, just felt like a lot, and we were commending, you know, the halo and just how good safety is in Formula 1. Then they obviously died down for most of the second half of the season. We didn't really have to mention it too much. And then, obviously, we got the most jarring um, yeah. reminder of just how good the safety in this sport is that we've had in a very long time with that Grosjean accident in um, Bahrain. But I just think, you know, yeah, that's just something that this 2020 has just really showed that, yeah, safety is in a very good spot in Formula One. And, yeah, that halo is just what a brilliant invention. Halo, halo, halo. I want your halo, halo, halo. That's getting clipped. Likely. But, yeah, as I mentioned, K-Mag, he starts well, he finishes early. He's had some bloody brilliant DNFs this season. Some really, like, race-defining DNFs. Some race-defining engine failures. Some race-defining trips back to pit lane. Was he the one who just, like, as the marshals were driving him back, he just sat on the boot of the Yeah, car? yeah, and he was the one who parked up and um, yeah. fucked over Lewis Hamilton. And he's the one who yeah. made Monza. Yeah, he made Monza. He made Monza, he made Austria, and I think he did one of the Britain races as well. So shout-out to Kevin Magnussen for oh, having he, a shit car. Maybe he's the MVP of the season. <laughs> honestly, bro, honestly. Shout out Kevin Babison. What about yourself, Spencer? Any cheeky talking points to bring up? Um, well, I mean, I have a conspiracy theory. Mm. I do love a good Spencer Hudson conspiracy theory. Oh, here we go. The, con- the conveyor of controversies back amongst uh, uh. I have it on good authority from the internet that the Mercedes team, as we know them, will not be continuing very much longer in F1. 
um, as you um, boys might be aware, um, the earth isn't getting any colder um, and climate change is becoming an issue. And uh, Mercedes being one of the leading car manufacturers around the world, um, will be looking to diverse, divert, what is invest, invest um, more infrastructure into making cleaner fuels, greener cars, and overall reducing their emissions, which doesn't really go hand in hand with a racing team. However, what they can still no. do is provide engines for teams. And what the chat on the street is, is that Aston Martin is slowly but surely until the end of 2023, going to start getting more and more of Mercedes personnel, their Intel, until essentially becoming the, I guess, what would you even call it? The defunct Mercedes team. And Sebastian Vettel may right. have very well put himself into a very good position because there is, and we spoke about this in an earlier podcast in the year, that uh, Lawrence Stroll and Toto Wolff are um, pretty good friends and they uh, fly together and their families hang out together. And as we know, Toto Wolff is a majority shareholder in Mercedes. The chat is that he would be looking to continue to start selling off those shares to then buy into the Aston Martin team where he would then become principal or team principal at the start of the 2024 season. Shove that up. Okay, my stocking will remain shoveless because I just... It's nice and it all theoretically fits, but Mercedes have just recommitted to Formula One. They've just signed this new deal. When's, actually, when's the Concord Agreement run to? Because they're in the, they're in the sports at the end of the Concord Agreement, which I thought was maybe like 2027 or something. I'm not sure, but yeah, they've just committed to the Concord. They've just got a new investment from this company, INEOS, I-N-E-O-S, who are you know directly involved with the Formula One team itself. You know, got equal share with Daimler and with Toto Wolff. So they're all, you know... Toto Wolff just re-signed for three seasons, at least. I, just, I don't see... Why Mercedes, who, again, they cited the Formula One's commitment to environmental concerns because the Formula One are trying to be a bit better in that regard. These new changes are going to make the cars a little more eco-friendly. They've committed to being properly eco-friendly by 2030, which is a similar time frame to what Mercedes are aiming for. So I don't really see why Mercedes would be getting out of the sport that they've had so much success in now that they've just got this fresh set of investment it's more the fresh set of investment for me than the success because to a certain extent they've had so much success there isn't a lot for them to really do anymore so they're not proving anything anymore by being here it's particularly you know that's the thing the, 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 I'd see them coming back as a manufacturer maybe you feel like once we get to a you know you know like 15 years time we're up to another big step forward in technology and then they come back and say hey look how good we can do this but they've They've won seven straight titles, six seven straight drivers' titles, seven straight constructors' titles. They've helped Lewis Hamilton become the most successful Formula One driver of all time statistically. Mm-hmm. They've said basically, they've said, "Look at this. We are." Be-. And every single year, they've obviously had the best engine. They've said, "Look at this. We are better at building hybrid engines than anyone else on the planet." Yeah. How fucking good are we? They don't have anything left to prove. Oh, they, but they've dominated the hybrid era. That's the thing. We're not, we're not, no, 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 I agree. I agree. Fuck, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I mean, and also... I, so Toto Wolf's kids play around with Lance Stroll and Lawrence's kids. All right, sure. I hang out with my cousins, but I hate them all. You know, sometimes you just do things Huge because you have Huge on this podcast. Sometimes you just got to, you know, sometimes you got to do... <laughs> I don't know if I should cut that out. I mean, do you like Toto Wolf? <laughs> um... Are you a private shareholder in Aston Martin? 
No. Hmm? Hmm? No. Hmm? No. No. But I, I don't see... It just seems confusing. To and me also, that Mercedes Benz is going to sell off to a direct Mercedes Benz is going to increase their shareholding of Aston Martin to twenty percent in the next three years. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's something. There's something brewing there. Oh, all right. And I mean, I think Ferrari. I think Ferrari makes, have just given half their staff to Haas. So I think it makes is sense. Is Haas going to be the new Ferrari? No, but there. But Ferrari are doing that. Like the thing is, is like there's like. Mercedes, like they are spending an ungodly amount of money every single season, like and have been doing for the last like five years. With the new budget caps, the idea is that becomes profit rather than you know expense. Yeah, but if you're not spending that much money, are we assured that the car is going to remain you know that high up? Like it works in Mercedes' benefit if they slowly start to wean themselves out of F1 as the the main team. They still keep providing engines to their other teams, and they have the team. They're like, oh yeah, like Aston Martin is kind of like our, you know, our first, like you know, our first, um, you know, our first right hand man, so to say. But then, like, what happens if in the new regulation eras, Mercedes dominance isn't as much as it was before because now they can't spend four times as much as anybody else, and then the team starts to go to shit. You know if what I mean? Happens, like, what is their contingency plan? If they can't win on an equal playing field, then fuck Mercedes, dude. And that's what I'm saying for them. They want to protect that legacy because they can still be in F1 with their engine quote. If they, but then if Aston Martin goes poorly, they can just say, oh, it's not us. It's if Aston they run Martin. away you know from I mean? these new regs with their tail between their legs, then I think that in and of itself fucks their legacy. And I the don't... Thing is, you can leave the sport without it look like you're running away. You can just say, well, look, it no longer aligns with our goals. We've proved everything we need to prove. We don't have to be here anymore. We've got, we'd like to go do something. We'd like to, they might go, you know, we'd like to go in with, I don't know what, I don't know Mercedes' entire collection of smaller car companies, but they might decide, you know what? We're sick of Audi fucking dominating in endurance or W, like, rallying. Oh, We're well, going okay. to switch. We're going to set up a proper endurance program and go after Le Mans mm-hmm. or with one of their subsidiary brands or something that I assume they have, we're going to go try and fucking conquer WRC. What if, because there's rumours of this happening, what if Audi set up an F1 team for 2022? Do Mercedes then stay in to... To win the rivalry? Possibly. That's, that is quite possible. But maybe, you know, yeah, that, that would be an inch. That would, yes, I think that, you know, could change the I feel like Toto Wolff is a guy who's obsessed with greatness because he is great. And I don't think, I think he's a guy who wants to prove he can be successful not only in this era, but in the next era as well. Oh, definitely. But one of the things better. that Mercedes did so well in the last, um, like, engine era is they they got a head start on the hybrid era and that's why between 2011 and oh sorry 2011 2009 2013 um and even like looking back on it then like mclaren oh sorry hamilton's move from mclaren to mercedes was seen as a downgrade like people were giving him smack for it like all the english media were like oh what's he doing like running off to you know the mercedes team mercedes is german like he's leaving you know the british darling of mcLaren and it turned yeah. out pretty well for him because, like, oh, you they were so far ahead with that. Yeah, a little bit, a little inkling. Um, <laughs> they haven't haven't lost a constructors' championship since Red Bull won their four straight. Yeah. Um, is Audi could do that right? Is Audi, if they let's say like Audi already right now know that they're coming into F one in twenty twenty two, and they've been given all of the regulations and all the data, and now they can spend for the next two years without actually having to race. Mm. They can spend all this time just getting a product onto there. So as soon as they get into like the first week of 2022, they can just hit the ground running. 
and I think that would be good for the sport because you want to see somebody actually try to push Mercedes. Like, I don't think if Audi wants to push for championships, they should go with Kibiata as their first driver. Yeah. Maybe their test driver <laughs> would be good, eh? Fuck off. But I even just like that these new regulations that are coming through are making these, you know, it's at least giving us some kind of, you know, hope towards a future that it isn't just going to be Mercedes running yeah. away with it every yeah, single year. Point. Because if we've gone from we've gone from Red Bull winning everything for four years straight to then Mercedes now winning seven. what the last yep. seven, like that's a that's over a decade no, of not. like oh, just yeah, yeah, yeah. absolute dominance from both like from two yeah. different teams. And like before then though, it was a lot more fun. Like we had, I think Kimi Räikkönen won in two thousand and eight, and then Lewis Hamilton won in two thousand and seven, and in two thousand and six it was. Oh, yeah, Fernando 05 to 09, we had Renault, Renault, McLaren, Ferrari, Braun. Oh, yeah, Braun as well, we yeah, had, of course. Yeah, then we had for the 20, then for the next, yeah, and then Red Bull, to, when that closed out that decade, that was with after three Ferrari titles to start off the back of the two Ferrari titles to finish off the previous decade. And then... Yeah, this decade, this lot of 10 years, we've had three straight Red Bull into four, seven straight Mercedes. Four straight Red Bull. Well, no, I'm including... Oh, this decade, yeah, okay. I'm well, including the 2010 Red Bull in the previous that, seven, um, 10 years. Does that... Are we all agreed then that the team, if there were to be... Was to be a new team coming to F1, we wanted to be Audi just for that Mercedes-Audi I don't think... I don't know whether it will be Audi under the Audi name, but uh, I think it will be the Audi group. Because Porsche is Audi. Yes, so the other one I've seen, I've seen Porsche, I've seen Campos, I've seen Prema, and I've seen... Um, Prema would be fascinating. And I've seen, like, a Russian supergroup. Prema um, would fuck Ferrari... Well, I mean, I guess Prema would probably... But Prema would fuck Ferrari's youth academy. Because all the Ferrari... Well, it actually would be interesting, because so many of the top mm. drivers go through the Prema junior stuff. Yeah. But you'd think if Prema starts fielding a senior team... They'll be having their own sort of possible out. Yes. Like, they're guys who have that connection. Yeah, I've seen that. Like, the idea is that Prema comes through and then either Haas or Alfa Romeo become just the direct Ferrari feeder team, which they kind of already are anyway. But, like, I mean, you've seen recently the Ferrari are building a literal factory in Maranello for Haas to, for Haas to work yep. at. So that's, like, a direct connotation right there. They're giving Haas their staff. So if that does end up with Prema being... I assume that's part team, of that... Um, Cost-capping. That is definitely cost-capping, yeah. Stuff, uh, you know. But, I mean, you know, that would be fascinating to see a team that has been so successful in F2 to make the jump up to F1. Uh, I don't yeah. necessarily care too much about which team it is. I just like that it be a new um, engine supplier Thank because you. I think now losing uh, Honda, yeah. like, I'd like to... And that would be really cool, like, four, whether yeah, it would be Audi or Porsche. Good, especially with two teams coming in. If two exactly. teams come in, taking us to 11 teams on the grid, you'd like at least four engines so that every team, is every engine supplier is, in theory, fielding at least two teams. Yeah. Although, what's well, what's the go with Renault? Any news regarding Red Bull taking over the Honda engine like pipeline? Is that going to happen, or is that not going to happen? I'm not sure. Whether I that saw some article I glossed over it that said that they were like they were ninety percent sure that they're going to have that engine um, for 2022 or something like that. Okay. Um, that's right. But that's another interesting one as well. Like with with Red Bull, is they're you know. You'd have to think that one of the things that's really like screwed them over the last few years is definitely their engine unit, and I think that issue oh, yeah. being is that Mercedes and Ferrari, in their right minds, are never going to give Red Bull um, any of their engines. So maybe it's something where you know, if uh, like Audi or Porsche do come in, 
do they look to go like, oh, okay, like we don't really think that we're going to be backward straight away because it's very difficult um, outside of the anomaly that is Braun GP to come straight mm-hmm. into F1 and perform really well. We'll give you our engine and see how it performs in a top car and then give you two or three years and then maybe see what happens there. Yeah. Because one thing that is like super interesting from that Braun thing that I watched the other night is that the the car was like Honda made the car so good they made it so fucking good that like Ross Braun was pretty much of the like idea that like any engine he put into that thing and it would have done what it did that Honda didn't realize what they had on their hands until Ross Braun came to have a look, bought them for a pound Hmm. and then using his knowledge of being like on the FIA the year before and all the things that he stamped his foot on to say that they should put regulations on it, like the double diffuser, the um, aero intake to the rear and the front wings. He just exploited all of those loopholes. And that's why Braun absolutely killed it at the start of the season and then tailed off right. because they were pretty much running not an illegal car, but just one that Ross Braun already knew was going to be unfair if people utilized it. And because he had that insider information, that Braun car at the start of the season just ran away with it. That cheeky bugger. It's fascinating. That Honda sold the team for a pound and they already had a car that was pretty much ready to win championships. I don't know whether... But they just... You boys haven't done it. Or if anyone listening um, who's, you know, here listening because they love Formula One more so than us, um, <laughs> Jensen Button's episode on the Beyond the Grid podcast when he sort of talks about that transition. And I think any of the people who were involved, I think Ross Braun's um, interviews on it as well, anyone who's involved in that Braun GP project, fascinating to hear how that all played out and what they their expectations of the season were, where they thought they were going to be to where they actually were and everything. I can confirm that our most devoted fan, uh, my mum, has learnt a few things listening to our podcast. She now understands that tyres are important. And that Calvon is bad. <laughs> That's what she's picked up. It's <laughs> oh, amazing. Uh-huh. Oh, dear, uh, either amazing. you've always got anything more to bring up and touch on? Oh, Martin Brundle looks good in a scooter. And Carlos Sainz looks good in red. Oh, doesn't he just? I don't know whether, I don't know whether I'm, I've actually seen the pictures. Of you that. haven't seen Carlos Sainz in red? Oh, you're going to have wank content. He looks so much month, better mate. next to Leclerc because he's like Leclerc makes him look more tan. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, is there like actual non-photoshopped image? Like, is there? An- there's yeah. him in the car. Yeah, there's like them with a oh yeah a photo with um Bonotti next to a Christmas tree. Bonotti and an engine. So, sorry, Bonotti. Like, the, sorry, the the biscuit. Matthew. Bonotto. You you're looking Bonotto is what you're looking for, mate. Matthew. Bonotto? Yeah, that's the one. Mm. Not the biscuit. Matthew Bonotti. Oh could have yeah, been a biscuit. yeah, yeah. No, he does look good. He does. He look looks good right, in red. Yeah, he yeah, does, he does. He does. As if Bonotto still has his job. Fuck's sake. Spinala. I'm happy to call it there, fellas. I think it it's is. It's been a good bloody show. Um, so that, for us, brings us to the end of not only this week's show, but I think this, the first ever season of the Rear of the Grid podcast. Yeah. It's been an adventure. Yeah. It's um, been interesting at times, horrific at times. Yes, Tom Brady's my favourite. He posed for the Buccaneers. Oh, dang it. Good thing this isn't an NFL podcast. <laughs> it's a Formula One podcast. Technically challenged at times. Yep. All right, let's get this intro in so this fucking computer of Deshaun's doesn't blow up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's literally. Right.
but um, totally technologically challenged. Yep. But we are also all technically challenged here too. Um, well, Spencer the last time, especially with regarding indeed, his beer indeed. pong form. Jesus. My what? I was more concerned with his um F1 form. Yeah, fucking. Oh, fuck. I wasn't. I was not legally able to drive. I was under the influence, and you had had like half a beer. I'm not legally able to drive ever. <laughs> yeah, well, all right, we'll run it back. We'll run it back. I've been practicing the last we'll few days. Back. I'm gonna smoke ya. I'm gonna fucking smoke ya. Uh, shout out, shout out to the uh, the only driving podcast that is hosted by two people who cannot drive, and one person who is typically too drunk to drive. Yeah, we we have fun. Um, <laughs> but for the final time, I've been Matt, joined by Jashan. Yep. Spencer. Grazie. <laughs> And this has been really great. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And um, just a quick note. Is that a ship's horn, Spencer? I don't know. It was uh, either a ship or a... Train, or maybe the uh, Russians have finally figured out where I live with my IP address. <laughs> Either way, I'm locking the door. <laughs> Man, it's not that hard to watch an F2 highlights package. Fuck that shit, man. <laughs>